There was a mother who took her five young children to the Walmart to do some Christmas shopping. When they got there, the kids were running up and down the aisle, screaming back and forth, grabbing toys off the counter, putting them in the basket, picking at each other and so forth. That went on for a while and finally, the mother being totally exasperated, reached over and grabbed them by the arms and in her mother voice said, I'm going to have some peace and quiet around here if I have to bust some heads to get it. We all want some peace and quiet, and yet it seems at times it takes war to get it. I read a statistic recently that said between 1840 and 1941, Great Britain was involved in 78 wars, France in 71, Russia in 61, Germany in 23, and the United States in 13. We live in a warring world. I suppose it's impossible to turn on the television without hearing about North Korea, Libya, Benghazi, Turkey, Iran, Iraq, all the other trouble spots in the world. We live in a warring world. There are wars without. We just concluded a political war that cost $2 billion dollars and left our country perhaps more divided than it has been in my lifetime. I know that it is not politically correct to say, but much of the violence that is taking place around the world today is the result of Islamic extremism. So we have all of this going on around us. There are political wars, there are theological wars, and then there are wars within. There are some of you this morning who are suffering from wars within, psychological wars. There's fear that you're dealing with. There's uncertainty that you're dealing with. All of these things that go on within us. And then there also are spiritual wars within that we deal with. The Apostle Paul wrote about that in Romans chapter 7 verse 19. He said, for the good that I wish I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I do not wish. So Paul then is giving the testimony that most of us identify with this morning. He said, those good things that I want to do, I fail to do. Those bad things I don't want to do, I oftentimes find myself doing. He says, there is a war that goes on within me. And probably you would say the same thing today. That within me there is raging this war. I want to do good. It seems that I can't. Those things I don't want to do, I oftentimes find myself doing. We desperately desire peace. In 1945, when the United Nations was organized, it was organized with this motto. To have succeeding generations free from the scourge of war. Today I want to speak to you about God's solution to peace. Take your Bibles, turn with me to the Gospel of Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse number 8. And in the same region there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which shall be for all the people. 
For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among men with whom he is pleased. There are over 400 references in the Bible to peace. But what is it? We send out Christmas cards that say peace on earth. We hear a lot about peace treaties. There's a lot said about peace, but what is it? Well, there are those who understand peace as being an absence of conflict. Now, ladies and gentlemen, peace is not an absence of conflict. That is a truce, not peace. There were some of you, I'm sure, who called a truce this morning when you got to church. Now, you had been in a fight at home, getting ready to come to church. On your way to church in the car, you continued to fight. But when you got to church, you called a truce. So you began to smile at each other and speak to each other and act as if everything is fine. But as soon as the service is over, the war will resume. Because it hasn't been peace, it has simply been a truce. There are many churches that call a truce between church conferences. And when it's time for the next church conference, then there is a call to arms. Nations call truces. There is not a lasting peace, so they simply have a truce. As you are aware, there are some of us who will be going to Israel later this month. And I have been asked numerous times, do you think the truce between Israel and the Palestinians is going to hold? My answer is no. It has been that way since Isaac and Ishmael. They have been fighting since then. And they are going to be fighting until the Prince of Peace comes to reign. So is there going to be lasting peace there? No. I don't care what our politicians say. I don't care what they think. I don't care about the pressure they try to put on the region. There is not going to be that peace until the Prince of Peace comes. You see, true peace is multidimensional. It's not as simple as we sometimes think it is. First of all, there is the upward dimension. In other words, if there is going to be true peace, if there is going to be lasting peace then there has to be this right relationship with God. The scripture says in Romans 5, 1, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, we will never know peace until we know the Lord. Because that is that upward dimension of peace. This world is never going to have peace until the Prince of Peace reigns. So there is the upward dimension. I must be at peace, first of all, with God. Now then, if I have peace with God, the upward dimension, then there is an inward dimension. I can be at peace with myself. The scripture says in Philippians chapter 4, verse number 7, the peace of God which surpasses all comprehension, you can't understand it, 
shall guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to understand the multidimensional aspect of peace. First of all, there is the upward dimension. I must be at peace with God. I must be right with God. If I am right with God, then I can be right with myself, the inward dimension of peace. And then there is the possibility of the outward dimension of peace. The scripture says in Ephesians chapter 2 verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. So we talk about peace, and peace is not a truce, an absence of conflict. You have to understand that peace is multidimensional. There is the upward dimension, I must be at peace with God. Then there is the inward dimension, then I can be at peace with myself. And if I am at peace with God and peace with myself, then I can be at peace with you. So the search for peace is multidimensional. Well, what is the secret of peace? We desire it. We search for it. What is the secret? Well, the obstacle to peace is sin. And you know the problem? We are all sinners. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So the scripture says that all of us fail to measure up to the standard of God, and that is sin. And God's standard is perfection. Now you might say, well, you know, I'm, I'm a better person than this guy sitting next to me. I know some things about that person. Here's the problem. We have to be perfect. That is God's standard. And the Bible says that we fall short. So we don't measure up to the standard, and that is sin. The Bible says in Psalm 14, 3, there is no one who does good not even one. There's no one who does good, not even one. So the obstacle to peace is sin, and we all are sinners, and the consequence of that is a lack of peace. Isaiah said in chapter 48, verse 22, there is no peace for the wicked, says the Lord. All right? So we desire peace, we search for peace, we want peace, we have peace treaties, all of those things. But the problem that we have is sin. And the Bible says that all of us are sinners. Now, if sin then is the obstacle to peace, righteousness is the secret to peace. How does that work? How do I receive the righteousness of God? Well, the scripture says that when we become believers, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we trust him as our Lord and Savior, the scripture says that the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us. Now, the word imputed that is used there is a bookkeeping term. And it means that righteousness is taken from the account of Jesus and placed in my account as I put my faith in him. See? It would be as if someone went down to your bank and took money from their account and placed in your account. Now then that becomes your money because it is in your account. All right? So the scripture says when I put my faith in Jesus Christ that the righteousness of Christ is imputed to me. 
And now then I become righteous because of what he did. Because I am righteous, because of what Christ did, I can be right with myself. That war that goes on can end because the righteousness of Christ indwells me. And now I can be at peace with you. Not because you are worthy, but because of what Jesus did. It's not that you have earned it. It is because of what Jesus did. So that means then that you can be at peace with your family. The righteousness of Christ is imputed to you. Now then you can be at peace. You can be at peace with your family. Even if your family does not want to be at peace with you, you can be at peace with them. There's the possibility of peace with family. We can be at peace within the church. That doesn't mean that you always agree on everything. But you see, we can have peace within the church because we understand we are brothers and sisters in Christ because of a relationship to God. Folks, I, I, I do wish, and this is sort of a side note, but I wish churches understood the damage they do to the kingdom of God when they are not at peace. I mean, it is such a terrible testimony that we give when, when the church is not at peace. And I'm so grateful for what God has done in our church and the peace that we enjoy together. We can be at peace because we understand that we are different. We don't see everything the same. But we can have peace because of what Jesus Christ did. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. The scripture says that he even makes our enemies to be at peace with us. The scripture says in Proverbs 16, 7, When a man's ways are pleasing to the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. So the secret of peace then is righteousness, the righteousness of Christ. Then there's the Savior of peace. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the prophet prophesied, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. God is the source of peace. You want peace? God is the source. The scripture says in 1 Corinthians fourteen thirty-three. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. In Romans 15, 33, now the God of peace be with you all. Because he is the source of peace, then he is the giver of peace. So the Lord then is the source of peace, and it is the Lord who gives peace. He is the source. God is the source. Jesus is the manifestation. God the Father is the source of peace. Jesus is the manifestation of peace. Colossians 1.20 says, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Okay. How did the Lord make peace through his shed blood on the cross? Now, folks, the scripture tells us that God is holy. He is merciful. He is loving. He is kind. But he is also holy and just. And the scripture says that because we all are sinners, then we are separated from the Lord by our sin because of his holiness. He cannot look upon our sin. He has to deal with our sin. And at the cross, Jesus dealt with our sin. So the scripture says in John, he himself is the propitiation for our sins. He, Jesus, is the propitiation for our sins. That means then at the cross... That Jesus settled the requirement of holiness when he died, paying for our sins because the wages of sin is death. 
So he provides us with peace. Because he purchased peace, then he is the mediator of peace. In 1 Timothy 2, 5, the scripture says, For there is one mediator also between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So God then is the source. Jesus is the manifestation. And the Holy Spirit is the agent of peace. In Galatians chapter 5, 22, Paul wrote, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. Now, I believe that there is a progression here. The word love is the word agape. And I think you probably know that the word agape speaks of an unconditional love. God always uses that word to speak of his love for you. It is always agape. And it means that God loves you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. His love for you has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. When the Bible speaks of Christian love, it is agape. So it is an unconditional love. So I am to love unconditionally. The fruit of the Spirit is love. So if the Spirit of God is in control of my life, if the Spirit of God is in control of your life, then we have unconditional love. Now what is the next? Joy. Because I love you, then I can have joy. Now let me ask you a question. You think, don't call out any names, but just think. Who are the most joyful people you know? Those who love others. Right? I mean, those people who love are joyful. They just have joy. Who are the most miserable people you know? Don't call out any names. I can tell by the way that you look that you're thinking of someone. And chances are they're thinking of you. Those who are the most miserable people are those who fail to love others. There is love, agape love. I love unconditionally. The result of that is that I have the joy of Christ. And the result of that is I have peace. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. I can now love others. So God then is the source, Jesus the manifestation, the Holy Spirit is the agent, and Christians are to be the messengers. See, we are God's peace core. We are to be the messengers of peace. Now, to do that, you have to have the right attitude. If you're going to be God's messenger of peace, you have to have the right attitude. And that, first of all, requires you to be humble. You will never be a broker of peace unless you, your life is marked by humility. We have to be humble. Because people who are arrogant are always divisive. People who are arrogant never bring people together. They always push people apart. So if we're going to be brokers of God's peace, then first of all, we have to be humble and then we must be an activist. A lot of times people will say, well, you know, I'm a peace lover. Now, that's good. I suppose people who are dead are peace lovers. I mean, because you don't have to do anything to love peace. That is a passive term. That is a passive idea. I'm a peace lover. Love peace. Peacemaker, on the other hand, is active. A peace lover... Passive, a peacemaker, active. Jesus was a peacemaker. Now, he loved peace, but he was also active. He was a peacemaker. When he went to the cross, he made peace. 
When he gave his life, he made peace. Stephen was a peacemaker. He prayed for those who stoned him. You say, well, okay. But if I commit myself to the pursuit of peace, won't people take advantage of me? I mean, if I want to have peace and, and I pursue peace and I'm trying to make peace with some people, won't they take advantage of me? Probably. But that does not exempt us from our responsibility. Because the Bible says that we are to be peacemakers. Now, where can you be a peacemaker? Now, I want you to think about that with me for just a moment. Where can you be a peacemaker? You. Where can you be a peacemaker? Well, let's say, first of all, within within our community. Uh, We are divided in our community across our country and so forth. We are divided just about every way you can imagine. We are divided racially. We have division there. We are divided economically. There's those evil one percenters. I want to be one, but, you know, I I probably will. But we're divided with, with those people. We're divided concerning religion. We're divided concerning morals, what is moral, what is not. And our... Uh, Pursuit of those moral convictions. So how then can you be a peacemaker in our community? Ladies and gentlemen, that's what we've been called to do. We are to be peacemakers in our community. How can you do that? How can you do it racially? What could you do to make race relations in our neighborhood, in our community, better? Well, for some of us, the first thing is to keep our mouth shut. Because sometimes we stir things up by what we say. How can we be peacemakers in our community? What about at work? Can you be a peacemaker at work? It could be that the Lord has you where you are within all that turmoil that takes place at work to be a peacemaker there. What about you students? Can you be a peacemaker at school? What is happening in your school? And you can be the Lord's peacemaker there. What about in your home? Our homes are so divided oftentimes and sometimes so volatile. What can you do to be a peacemaker in your home? What about in the church? We had Bill Foster's funeral this past week. Bill was a wonderful man. Many of you knew him. He's 95 years old. He became an honorary life deacon in our church in 1997. He spoke to the deacons about that in the next deacons meeting, and he said to the men, be faithful to the Lord and loyal to the church. I thought, what wisdom. Be faithful to the Lord and loyal to the church. How can we be peacemakers? In our community, in our homes, in our schools, in our church, how can we be peacemakers? God is the source of peace. Jesus is the manifestation. The Holy Spirit is the agent, and you are the messengers. The sacrifice of peace. Peace always comes with sacrifice. And in the scripture, there are a number of metaphors that are used to describe the peace that came through the cross of Christ. The scriptural writers went to the slave market and there they said that Jesus ransomed us. He he ransomed us. He paid the ransom to set us free that we are no longer slaves. 
Then they went to the battlefield and said that Jesus went to the battlefield and defeated Satan, that we might be freed. Every time I watch, Steve, the Christmas pageant, and we come to that place where they're singing the power of the cross, and I watch the crucifixion of, of Jesus. My heart is touched and broken to think of him dying for me. And as I hear the sounds of the hammer, being reminded that I'm the one who participated in his death. That he went to the battlefield and defeated Satan that we might be forgiven of sin and have life. And then they went to the temple where the high priest offered sacrifices for sin and said that Jesus was the Paschal Lamb. That he died once for all that our sins might be forgiven us. And then they went to the courtroom and said that he is the advocate there pleading for you and pleading for me, making our case because of our faith in him. And what is the consequence of that peace that comes from the cross? We're reconciled to God. The Bible says that when Jesus was dying on the cross, that the veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom, symbolizing that now we have access to the Father. Now then you have access to the Holy of Holies. We reconcile to God. We accept each other because John says you cannot love God whom you have not seen and not love your brother whom you have seen. And if nations would bow at the feet of Jesus, then and only then would we have peace in this world. And that's what we'll have when Jesus reigns during the millennial time. We desire peace. There's a desire within our hearts for peace. But peace comes through the Savior because he purchased our peace. And so the writer says, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. My friend, if there is a war that rages within you, then you need to know the Prince of Peace, the Lord Jesus. Do you know him? Our Father in God, we come to a time of invitation, asking people to consider their relationship to you. And Father, for those who are struggling, for those who have that war raging inside, I pray today that they might surrender themselves to the Lordship of Jesus. Father, that even during this invitation time, they would commit themselves to you. Bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we're going to stand. The choir's going to sing, and we extend an invitation. If you're here without Jesus, that you would come to receive him. If you're looking for a church home, our doors are open to you. We'd love to have you as a part of our family if the Lord so leads. Stand with me, please. As we stand, they sing. As they sing, you come. I'll greet you.